Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Well, Donald Trump has made it through another day of his life without being indicted. It could be the last indictment-free day of Donald Trump's life. Well, what can I tell you, folks? There have been delays. The grand jury in the Manhattan hush money case canceled their meeting on Wednesday. And we're reportedly seeing one new witness on Thursday, which also was canceled. So, I'm thinking it'll just be next week. Now, Trump obviously lied about being indicted on Tuesday, or supposed to be indicted on Tuesday, and is now running around saying that there may not be an indictment in this case at all. Well, wishful fucking thinking, Donald, but it's out of our hands at the moment. Two of the, uh, when are they going to arrest him already? We are, uh, the grand jury was out today, and no indictment was handed down against Donald Trump, they decided to push the hearing to tomorrow to give Trump supporters time to iron their Confederate flag. And Trump mouthpiece Bob Costello is out there telling reporters that the reason for the grand jury's pause is because of his testimony last Monday. Now he can try to undermine me and drag things out, but it doesn't change the facts. And I know that he's a liar because I am the one that he's lying about. He forgets I was there. So Costello can say whatever he wants, but he's probably damaged Trump's case more than he's helped it. Apparently, the ex-president DJs every Thursday, but he doesn't spin from a booth. According to an insider, he controls the music on an iPad, usually from his table, so he eats and plays. It's a DJ style the club kids call Toddler at Olive Garden. But of course, Trump appears to be loving the attention, because that's what he is. He's a fucking attention monger. And so, he's out there running around Morillardo in a golf cart, playing DJ at parties, and trying to appear confident. If sources are to be believed, he's getting some coaching on how to behave on indictment day. I mean, could you imagine this shit? Should he smile? Should he ask for handcuffs? Because in his mind, handcuffs would make him look tough. I mean, should he wave to fans? I mean, Trump's got a lot to think about. Personally, I don't want to see Trump dragged into the courthouse in handcuffs. Why? Because I respect the institution of the presidency too much. Trump being publicly handcuffed would be humiliating for the institution of the presidency and would not reflect well on the United States in the eyes of our allies and our adversaries. Donald Trump is dominating the news cycle. According to the New York Post, he's loving it at Mar-a-Lago. He's saying hello to everyone, feeling like he's on top of the world, uh, looking forward to it because he sees the numbers. Maybe he saw the morning consult poll, which has him on top of Ron DeSantis, 54-26. But he also should know, too, at a similar time uh, when Obama was running against Hillary Clinton. She also had a 20-point lead. Now, Trump will be at a rally this weekend, ironically, in Waco, Texas. He's no doubt he'll be riling up the troops and some raving mad rhetoric and fundraising, of course. And Trump never was one to miss an opportunity to grift off his travails. And in all fairness, he's raised nearly two million bucks since last Saturday. Yes, from a historical perspective, an indictment against a former president is unprecedented. But given that we're talking about this particular former president, Donald J. Trump, can you honestly say to yourself that an indictment is a surprise? The first thing anyone ever knew about his business practices was, was when he and his father had to settle with the Justice Department decades ago 
over accusations that they illegally refused to rent apartments to black people. But rest assured, Donald doesn't want to be arrested, no matter how he's posturing. No matter what he says to his base, Trump is truly fucking terrified. He's also mad as hell. But the logistics of bringing the former president to Manhattan to be fingerprinted and processed are daunting. And plans have been in the works all week about how to coordinate security and choreograph this perp walk. I mean, for example, barricades have been set all over. So now it's just a matter of when. The Trump base is solid, so pleasing them has been the focus of other presidential hopefuls. But it's tricky for Ron DeSantis. Because there's not enough room in Florida for two dictators, and that happens to be true. And Meatball Ron is taking a beating in the polls. But he's really going to have his hands full if Trump is indicted and refuses to leave Mar-a-Lardo. Will DeSantis have to ring up Kathy Hochul and work out some sort of Trump extradition deal? I mean, that's a shit show I'd almost like to see. And Matt Getz is apparently still Team Trump. Well, if I were governor of Florida, I would not allow any Floridian to be hauled before some Soros-backed prosecutor in some blue city over politics. And I wouldn't make an exception to not protect the president of the United States. Ron DeSantis should be standing in the breach to stop any sort of extradition of President Trump from the state of Florida. And the fact that he's not doing so puts every Floridian at risk who could be the subject of a false allegation. Again, with the anti-Semitic Soros reference. But like I said, DeSantis is in a tricky position. All saying that they will support Donald Trump if he's the nominee. Even after what happened on January 6th. Even when we know that the Russians backed him. So what do you do with that? I, I don't see how that's any sort of definition of patriotism or putting the country first. It's putting the party first. There are also so many Trump probes that could result in an indictment. So who knows which one will come first? And I'm not going to say that the Stormy Daniels case is the most significant, because it's not, but it's still a crime to pay the hush money and lie about it on your business records. That's not political. It's just a garden variety felony. And I know it's not as splashy as the insurrection or the Fulton County fraud case, but it's still a fucking felony. And I went to jail for it. Should we spare Trump the same fate simply because he was a former president and a bad one at that? Or do we seek equal justice for everyone under the law? Right? Isn't it supposed to be one law for all of us? Well, the whole world is watching, so we better get it fucking right. So we all know Trump doesn't understand how the law works. Turns out he doesn't know when it works either. But for MAGA supporters feeling FOMO about missing the Donald showdown with justice, I'm confident you'll get another chance. In other news, it looks like Jack Smith is going for an obstruction of justice case against you-know-who. D.C. federal judge Beryl Howell has ordered Trump lawyer Evan Corcoran to give the Justice Department all the transcripts of his recordings, invoices, notes, and other materials that could be used as evidence in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And why? Because Trump may have misled his own attorneys into believing all the documents that the feds had subpoenaed were returned. Well, they were not. But to quote the Washington Post, and I quote, Evan Corcoran must provide evidence to prosecutors because his legal services may have been used to facilitate a possible crime. 
Obstruction of government attempts to recover highly sensitive documents. Well, surprise, surprise. On Wednesday, a federal appeals court denied an appeal by Trump's legal team. So without further ado, Corcoran needs to pony up the paperwork. Now, obviously, we haven't been able to see what's in those materials. The entire case is under seal, so we don't know what that that is. Um, but whatever it is, obviously, Jack Smith cares a lot about it as well because he went to the trouble of trying uh, to get these materials so that the grand jury can see them. Uh, the grand jury that's indict that is reviewing this um, and preparing, you know, possibly indict. And no one who has been paying attention is shocked that Trump used his own attorneys to commit a crime. Corcoran tried to invoke the attorney-client privilege rule, but the court wasn't buying it. The Trump team's appeal will continue and maybe go all the way to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, prosecutors are free to review the evidence that Corcoran provides. So, a win for the rule of law, and for Jack Smith in particular. But. We prosecutors don't do politics. We're not intimidated by political pressure. We just follow the evidence and the law. And I think it's interesting that these so-called law and order folks are suddenly obsessed with the rights of suspects and defendants. Let's see if that persists after this case and applies to people who are not inside the MAGA bubble. Things just keep getting more terminal over at Fox News. Earlier this week, Fox producer Abby Grossberg, who served as the top producer for Maria Bartiroma's Sunday show before moving over to Tucker Fucker Carlson tonight, filed a lawsuit on Monday in Delaware, as well as a separate case in New York, alleging that lawyers for Fox coached her to make misleading statements ahead of her deposition in the Dominion case to help the company deflect blame. We wondered who Fox would try to frame for the long-running Dominion hit job, and it looks like Abby Grossberg believes it's her. A reminder, Dominion filed a $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox News. It alleges the channel falsely claimed that Dominion Voting Systems was responsible for fraud in the 2020 election. Fox is denying both Dominion's claim and Grossberg's new claim. On Monday, a lawyer for the Murdochs requested that Rupert, Lachlan Murdoch, Fox Corp officer, Din and former House Speaker Paul Ryan, now a Fox board member, not be compelled to testify in the Dominion defamation trial, scheduled to start on April 17th. The reason given was that they were not part of the day-to-day decision-making at Fox News. But Dominion argues that Rupert Murdoch already said under oath that some Fox host endorsed election fraud conspiracy theories. And if he knew that much, He's culpable. Fox lawyers say that Rupert was speaking in generalities and not referring to the Dominion allegations specifically. Either way, Rupert knew and let it happen. The judge has not yet issued a ruling, so stay tuned as we follow this story for developments. America, it's all on the line. President Trump believes in you. He emancipates and lifts you up to live your American dream. You are capable, you are qualified, you are powerful, and you have the ability to choose your life and determine your destiny. Don't let the Democrats take you for granted. Don't let them step on you. Don't let them destroy your families, your lives, and your future. And file these tidbits under, it runs in the family. 
But as the Dominion lawsuit against Fox unfolds, it was confirmed that Kimberly Gargoyle was fired from her job as a news anchor at Fox for, I mean, can you guess? Sexually harassing a female associate. The best is yet to come. And it appears that Eric's wife, Lara Trump, took a page out of the George Santos playbook and built an animal-related charity out of funds. A Lara-sponsored dog rescue charity was caught funneling money into Lara's pockets. I mean, for God's sakes, where else? The charity has spent almost $2 million of donated funds at Mar-a-Lago. 225000 of it last weekend alone. I mean, I guess the fucking price of a cheeseburger has gone up at Mar-a-Lardo. But it must be a real party over there with Donald spinning his favorite tunes while the kids count their loot. I mean, they better enjoy it while they can, because I believe it's going to be tick, tick, tick. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back my good friend, Brooklyn Dad Defiant, or simply as we call him, BDD. BDD is a left-wing political commentator on Twitter and YouTube and various other social media platforms. His outspoken defiance and often humorous take on the Trump administration have earned him almost a million Twitter followers. Since the riots at the Capitol on January 6th, BDD has used his platform to bring attention to GOP lawmakers like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ted Cruz, Jim Jordan, and Biggs, asking that they face consequences for their actions in connection to the insurrection. He calls himself a proud papa who is perpetually pissed. He's a fascinating guy, so let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome back, Brooklyn Dad Defiant. All right. It's a good time to be a New Yorker, wouldn't you say, right? Um, on Monday, I mean, I mean, this is hysterical. On Monday, there were more press people than protesters downtown, <laughs> despite, of course, the former president trying to rally his troops to ward off prosecution. I mean, Trump started here, but he seems to have lost New Yorkers. Being a avid, longtime New Yorker, lifelong New Yorker, if I'm not mistaken, what do you think? Uh, we we have never we have never. Oh, first of all, thank you uh, for having me back on the show, Michael. Uh, big fan. Uh, we we've never really liked uh, Donald Trump ever, and this is going back to, you know, um, back to the eighties. I think when I first heard about him, I I always thought he was a, a brash, kind of full of himself asshole. You know, that was my personal feeling before I knew about his stance on. Uh, the Central Park Five, for instance, before I knew any of the things that he did uh, that he's accused of having done with women, uh, the sexual assaults, all that stuff. Before I knew he stiffed all these workers, we just we didn't, didn't care for him at all. He was always just an asshole, you know, and now he's just a, a bigger asshole with a, a bigger following. And I, th- I think it was hysterical that uh, in front of Trump Tower, there were like <laughs> five people, <laughs> just, just five people yeah. came out to support him. It's pathetic. It looked like one of them was actually blowing a chauffeur, yes. which I thought was interesting, <laughs> right? I mean, that was one gigantic ram's horn. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was amazing. And in, 
I'll be honest with you, I watched it several times because the intonation that this young lady had in blowing that Mm -hmm. chauffeur, and I'm not talking about blowing the chauffeur like as a driver, I'm talking about a chauffeur, right, which is a a, a ram's horn, (laughs) right? Uh, She had incredible, incredible intonation. I've actually, you know, seen many, many rabbis over the years blowing the shofar. And I think she was as good as any of the ones that I've ever heard. And some of them are pretty spectacular. A, it, so, and, and she did it over and over again. I was really impressed. Is there a skill to it? Is it like a difficult thing? Oh, yeah. You got to try it. I, I know I can't do it. They say that if you can play the trumpet, that it's the same sort of, or if you can play the trombone, wow. that it's the same type of um, lip position and so on. I've seen some rabbis use... Um, and put their fingers over the the um, the uh, mouthpiece uh-huh. uh, of the ram's horn and use that way almost like making their own sort of um, I don't know functioning way to to I don't know I've tried it um, I can't do it and I don't purport to be able to so again you know I was impressed with the five of them very much so but there was a secondary rally which you may have also heard about um downtown mm-hmm. by the district attorney's office where members of um two groups the New York Young Republicans and I'd love to see young people getting yeah. involved and I don't care on which side that you elect to get involved on. I'm just happy to see young people getting involved in politics, as well as the Long Island loud majority. And the two of them held this, like, how is it described? As a sparsely attended rally (laughs) for the former president. Now, what's amazing is that these young Republicans, they seem to be able to learn very quickly from the deceitful Donald himself, claiming that they were glad that there was not a very large group, that there was only a handful of supporters that showed up. Um, In fact, the club's president, a kid named Gavin Wax, told the Huffington Post, we purposely kept it small. Yeah, of course you did, right? You schlep your ass in from Long Island, right? Because there's nothing like fucking Long Island traffic to get here from the Van Wick all the way to the to the Long Island Expressway so that you could then sit in traffic trying to get over the 59th Street yeah. Bridge so you don't have to pay the, the toll. The is brutal. Right? Yeah, of course. Let's purposely, yeah, let's purposely keep it small. So good for you there, Gavin. Very, very smart. Um, which was funny because somebody else turned around and said, I think that there's more cameras here than people. Uh, I mean, which was, again, really fantastic uh, in terms of a uh, comment, only to be followed by the second stupidest comment by this guy, Troy Olson, who's the sergeant in arms. Yeah, I would prefer a lower turnout. Of course you would, because nothing draws media attention like a small turnout, right? That's so stupid. Don't they understand that we're all fucking New Yorkers? <laughs> it's the same mentality that, like, when uh, uh, when Trump would post something, you know, inane like Kofefe, uh, you know, everybody would be like, "Oh, he meant to do that. That was that was in- intentional. We meant to have this small. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because your whole your your whole 
uh, reason of being is based on uh, crowd size. They're, they're just they're obsessed with crowd size. So for Trump to have only, you know, a few handfuls of people show up, this is a major fail for him as well as his followers. Their, their identity is tied in with the big crowds because the big crowds in their mind, psychologically, I'm not a psychiatrist, but psychologically, they're like, well, you know, if if he has so many people showing up for all these rallies, how could he lose to Joe Biden? How could he lose by seven million votes? We had all these rallies. Yeah, but, you know, rallies are not what gets somebody elected. Your guy was just a bad candidate. He was awful. And so, you know, our guy had no rallies and he still whooped your ass. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny, but talk about small rallies. I mean, CPAC this year, which is generally, and I've been to CPAC with Donald in the past, and I can tell you, the guy drew a crowd. I mean, when they found out he was going, I mean, that place was wall-to-wall mm. people. You You could not walk. And they then had the secondary overflow room. And this, again, was going back into, you know, for 2016. My understanding, and this is what was put out by basically every single news organization, is that there was less than half a crowd at CPAC this year. And then you had people even like Chris Christie poking fun at Donald about, I don't know, everything. <laughs> this, is a, this is really, and you're not wrong when you say that they, they correlate everything to crowd size. Let's not forget when he said that at his inauguration, it was the biggest crowd ever <clears throat> in American history. Yeah. Right? And there's something with him and crowd size that for whatever mishigas this guy's got going on inside that head of his, he finds relevant and relevant to determine whether or not he'll be the nominee or... He'll be, again, God forbid, president of the United States. Yeah, I, first of all, I, I had heard uh, and actually saw a video of, you know, of the CPAC during his speech. Now, mind you, I had also seen, um, I think it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders was there and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I got a, a big chuckles out of how sparsely the the uh, event was attended when those two and you would think you know Marjorie Taylor Greene she's whatever you think about her she draws a crowd as well they they want to see the crazy so it was less than half of that room was full for her and then when they showed the video of Trump's speech during CPAC you, you thought um some no-name person was up there because there were all these empty seats at the back. I mean, how do you plan for an event like that and not have a solid number, you know, uh, uh, and not be able to anticipate a solid number of attendees and showing all those empty chairs, knowing how he hates that? I mean, is it true that um, that he, his people have put out ads on Craigslist um, paying attend people to attend his events and, and rallies. Is that is that actual? Because I've seen screenshots, but I don't know. I, I've seen, yeah, I've seen reports uh, on that, and I've seen screenshots as well on uh, Craigslist and other sorts of um, 
uh, media outlets asking people to show up and to get paid. Another thing that I actually read about is if you, and this has always been a problem, and it was something that I brought to his attention early, early on in 2015, when I said to him, to be honest with you, on television as I'm watching your, you know, your rallies, they look like Klan meetings. I mean, there's absolutely no diversity mm. there, which is one of the reasons why I created the National Diversity Coalition for Trump with a guy by the name of Pastor Daryl Scott, uh, who's a black evangelical preacher out of Cleveland. Mm. And we built up a huge following for it. But what I find, what I found on that in that article was that the same black people who are there with the T-shirts that say "Blacks for Trump" yeah. are actually paid by the campaign, and it's the same three, four, five people Every time. always. Every time. And they'll circle the faces and they'll show that these guys are actually traveling around. In essence, they're just. Um, Props. <laughs> They're just props. Yep. Yeah. But then again, what I mean, what do you expect? This is this is exactly who we're talking about. We're talking about a guy who doesn't particularly have any affinity for minorities. All he believes is, you know, like so many, unfortunately, of his supporters, I mean, there's 28% or 30% of the Republican Party that are clinging on to white privilege like it's the last drop of clean water on the earth. It's uh, with, with Donald Trump, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. You know, like what you see is not what you get with him. He's got lifts in his shoes. Uh, you know, the, the hair is some kind of thing that he does there's so much fakeness it's it's ironic that his twitter handle at one point was the real donald trump because he's he's anything but real and that extends to his um his affinity for the blacks as as he called yeah. as you, you know look i i uh. i have grown up i i am proud to say that i've grown up in a very diverse uh, environment. I, I'm, I was fortunate, you know, I went to public school for like my first six, seven years in school. It was, so it was like all of us, you know, uh, black, Latino, Asian, white, you know, it was a, a melting pot. And then I went to private school in Manhattan. I went to the Dalton school and that was majority white, you know. And so throughout my entire life, I've been exposed to and um and affiliated with people from all walks of life every religion etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know when somebody genuinely cares about uh someone uh, a person of color or someone from a different background you can you can feel that it's not a forced thing you know i at least i can you know i have like a i have a radar sense you know i'm i'm the guy who's had to walk into uh department stores and be followed you know uh walk into a supermarket uh, or grocery store and have the the store owner like watch me as if i'm going to steal something i'm not going to steal any of your bullshit in here um uh, you know uh so i had to develop a 
a sixth sense for people that um that you cannot trust that that have uh hate running in their veins for you and donald trump is that guy he's that guy and he's not uh he's not slick about it he he had an opportunity in front of the nation to reject white supremacy when he was in that debate with joe biden and what did he say stand back and stand by i mean that is like yeah, multiple That's times. The lowest multiple times. Fruit you could possibly have. Right. And what does he do? And then later on, what last year he had uh dinner with Nick Fuentes. You can't tell me you didn't know who this guy was. You were the former president of the United States. You can just let any schmo uh walk up to you and be in your circumference. No, you had to screen that dude for him to get within shaking distance of you and you that's Nick Fuentes. Everybody knows who he is, you know? Yeah. You know, just touching on for a second um, what's going on downtown with the district attorney um, and the potential indictment um, of Donald. Do you think that they would be putting up sidewalk barricades if an indictment wasn't about to come down? You know, we have seen, I've lived in Manhattan now since like 1992, and I've seen these barricades go up and down and up and down and up and down. Personally, I like to be the guy who owns them, right? <laughs> Renting them or leasing yeah. them to the city, yeah. <laughs> right? But these things come up and down and up and down all the time for every parade, for the marathons, for you name it, whatever's going yeah. on. They don't just they don't just willy nilly put up these barricades. I mean, this is time consuming. Mm -hmm. You think that they'd be doing it if they weren't certain that an indictment was about to come Ab down? Absolutely not. I mean, that's you, you, that's manpower. You know, you, you got to pay guys an hourly wage for them to spend all day uh, constructing those things. It's also going to affect the traffic flow uh, in the city. So. Yeah, there's a whole lot of logistics that go into that. They're not just going to do it just for shits and giggles, you know, just, you know. Uh, no, I absolutely think that they are anticipating some some activity, some serious activity. Yeah. So staying on the topic, we now have Jim Jordan who's demanding, right, that Alvin Bragg answer to the House for an indictment that hasn't yet even transpired. Now, Jim is weaponizing the House of Representatives. That's, how, that's just how I see it. In fact, it's the name of my book. It's what I've been saying all along, that we are now on the precipice of losing our democracy, especially when you have those that hold the levers of power weaponizing government against its citizens. And that's exactly what happened to me. But I'm sure they look, I'm sure you've been keeping up with their, you know, with these hearings. How would you grade them? And if you would, tell us why you're giving them the grades that you're giving. Oh, uh, are you talking about Jim Jordan's uh, weaponization uh, committee here? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a total farce. I'd give him an F because, you know, he's starting off uh, from an imaginary premise. You know, I don't doubt. I don't doubt that there are people who want to weaponize government, but I think really all he needs to do for that uh, hearing to be a success is put a mirror in front of his face and start with himself. Because Jim Jordan, uh, Jim Jordan 
throughout the entire time he's been in Congress, I don't know if, uh, if you are aware of this, he has passed no bills. His sore uh, reason to exist in Congress is just to, to throw bombs, to, to throw, uh, to make a lot of noise and racket, uh, to be uh, divisive, so to speak. Um, he is in search of a crime uh, that doesn't exist. So he is, in effect, weaponizing government right now in going after Alvin Bragg um, by not respecting the separation of powers there. You know, it's, it's two separate and equal uh, branches of government, and he is trying to use uh, the power of Congress to uh, to mess with an investigation. Uh, um, for the lack, what, what is the word I'm looking for? To not to mess with, but um, to stymie, to um, you know, interfere. To- Interfere to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, look, there's, there was a reason why our founding fathers created three branches of government, right? Executive, legislative, and the judiciary. There's a reason, and there's always supposed to be for the purpose of checks and balances that no one part becomes more powerful than the other so that they can step on that other branch and assert the power over that branch as well. And I have to be, I have to give credit where credit is due. Donald figured out exactly how to do that with his um, belief that he is king as president, that he could do whatever he wants, um, that The executive branch answers to no one. And that's possibly true when you have a Supreme Court, the judiciary, right, that is tilted in your favor. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the only thing that was holding him back, in my estimation, from taking over as autocrat of this country was really the legislative branch because at the time it was controlled by only by um, by Democrats, and it's a um, it's a dangerous game that he and members of the GOP are playing because as we've now seen, for example, with the um, Dobbs decision, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, once you lose a right, you lose that right. Now, of course. Republicans would argue and say, you didn't lose anything. It just shifted from, from the federal government to States. each individual state. Well, not when you start, right. Not when you see, for example, I think it's what, Texas has a, um, a, a, a lawsuit that would ultimately ban mefeprestone, which is the, the, um, the day after pill, right? Yeah. Um, this is all dangerous stuff because once they finish fucking around with women's reproductive rights and getting involved in what goes on in your bedroom and in your personal life, they're just going to move on to the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. But don't worry about the Second Amendment because we're still, gonna, we're still going to allow you to own right, high-powered 
you know, AR-15 or assault-style rifles with magazines that can shoot 100 bullets in under 60 seconds. Don't worry about that, my friends, all right? Because we don't want to impinge on your constitutional rights, but we will fuck around with your reproductive rights. Not just it. Because that's not in the Constitution. Not, not just the reproductive rights, but uh, this is this is uh, evolving or devolving into a, a culture war where they want to impinge upon people's right to exist. Like, you know, when you're talking about uh, LGBTQ folks, you know, uh, this has become a war on trans people. I don't know what you expect. You know, you just expect them to stop existing or you want them to go back into the closet and be and not be true to themselves you know um why is it the government's business you know how uh what pronouns somebody uses nobody's forcing you to use a pronoun nobody's forcing you to become trans or to to be gay or whatever just live and let live you know if you if if Republicans really were about small government, they would stay the hell out of people's bedrooms, out of people's uh, 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 bodies, out of their uh, uteruses, uteri, whatever. You know, they would stay out of our business and just handle the business of government, which is, you know, um, writing laws and um, collecting taxes and shit like that. But stay the hell out out of people's marriages, bodies, and bedrooms. You know, it's, there was a great comedian I saw on, I think it was Instagram or TikTok or something like that, and this comedian was talking about the whole issue of pronouns. They, them, you know, us, we. And he turned around and he talked about how the GOP, how these Republicans are so against having these pronouns and an individual's right to make the determination whether they are male or female. Now, one of the things, of course, that they don't tell you is that, no, in high school, if you're a male, you can't identify as a female and then go into the, fem- the, to the girl's bathroom. There are specific requirements that are going on. But what he did is he made fun of the GOP stating, yes, it's every guy's dream to watch a girl urinate on the toilet, right? And so I'm going to fake as a male wanting to be a female. I'm going to start going for therapy for months and months and months or years. I'm going to start going for hormone shots grow my hair out, the whole nine yards, simply so that I have the pleasure of watching a girl take a leak. I mean, the whole thing is just so stupid. It's a fact of life, and you start to see at an early age when these young kids start to identify. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that you should push them into that. They will figure it out on their own, somehow or another, That's what we do as humans. We will figure it out on our own. But what they're trying to do, as they used to do in the old days, well, you could beat the gay out of them. Mm. That's really what it it is. Let's make them, let's isolate them 
And this whole notion that you can just go into any bathroom that you want, whenever you want. And I've had this conversation with friends of mine who were like Ivy League school educated. And the shit that they say, it fucking angers me so much. Let him or her be him or her. What's it? Your business, right? right. It's not like just because even if hypothetically, you know how many restaurants I go to where it's unisex bathrooms, where it makes no difference. You're in a stall that's locked, ceiling to floor. You close it. You do your business. You, you know, you drop one. Okay. <laughs> just do a courtesy flush. You know, I mean, it makes no difference. Just go on. It's not like I'm in that other person's stall or they're in mine, but you do wash your hands in the same sink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually a very long sink. Okay. Does it make you feel uncomfortable? I don't know. I don't feel uncomfortable when I, when I go there. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Well, then don't go to the bathroom, right? I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get it and I don't understand their position on it. And it doesn't make any sense to me. But I've talked about this before. And again, it's Jim Jordan's weaponization committee on government. It's called Weaponization of the Federal Government Select Subcommittee. And I really started out hopeful that while I understand Jim Jordan and I fundamentally don't agree, and he probably hates my guts, and that's okay. Um, I'm not a tremendous fan of his either. But I do actually believe as a member of Congress, I have to believe this. Otherwise, I want to leave this country. I have to believe that even the radical GOP members care about this country, nope. care about democracy, nope. and care about our Constitution. I have to believe it. Otherwise, you now have people in the government that don't believe in the founding document that makes us who we are. So I do want to believe that when he decided to create this subcommittee, and I'm all for it, Let's find out whether or not the Biden administration is being weaponized to go against Trump, the GOP, or anybody. Let's find that out. But as Jamie Raskin, and God bless him, and we should all just say a quick prayer for him, right? Jamie Raskin, um, Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee, no relation. And then freshman Congressman Dan Goldman here Mm -hmm. from New York. Each and every one of them had a debate with Jim Jordan about the subcommittee as it related to me. Why do you, Jim Jordan, only want to start this weaponization committee on the day that Joe Biden took office? What about the four years before that? We have proof. There is actual proof that the Trump administration was weaponized to go after mm-hmm. me, that they actually did go after me. And as Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein wrote in his decision, it was done out of retaliation to prevent me from asserting my First Amendment right of free speech and publishing a book that Donald knew would be critical of him. Why is that not relevant to this, you know, this select subcommittee? And the answer is because Jim doesn't want it to be, which makes this thing partisan and a fraud. So you give me your opinion on well, this. Well, Michael, the, the GOP is now a cult 
of personality and nothing more. It, it used to, you know, I remember back in the day where um, y- you didn't agree. I didn't agree with a lot of things that uh, Republicans believed in, but at least you believed that they were, you know, operating in good faith, so to speak, that they were you still cared about America. They still cared about our democracy. And right now, they only care about protecting Donald Trump and and playing out his his revenge, uh, his his desire for revenge. Why? Because his base, this is all they care about right now. That 30 percent of locked in people who will follow him over the cliff if need be. And the Jim Jordans and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses, I I think they're on the same page as what's uh Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, you you may recall recently it was uh unearthed that he was texting people saying, I passionately hate Trump. Tucker Carlson, you know, his biggest cheerleader passionately hates Trump. And I don't think Gates, Matt, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the rest of that cult, I don't think they're that far away from that same opinion. But they need, they need his supporters, his followers mm-hmm. that will not question anything that is the most valuable base you can possibly have. And they cannot get to that base unless they do his bidding, unless they appear to be going after the people that Trump dislikes and hates, because those are the same people that they dislike and hate. So until they break, they, until the GOP is able to break that fever, um, this is what we're going to be looking at for the foreseeable future. And maybe it requires somebody else to step out of the the woodwork. I don't know if it's um, Tiny D, Ron DeSantis, or Ron DeSanctimonious. I don't know if he has the wherewithal to take Trump down. He's, you know, he's uh, thrown some subtle shade. You know, you know. By the way, you, you know, you forgot, you forgot, Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I didn't hear that one. <laughs> uh, that yeah, one is actually yeah, good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. So, BDD. You often bring up Republican hypocrisy, yeah. as, as do I, by the mm-hmm. way. So House Republicans have unveiled their budget, and they want to defund aid to the border by, by literally cutting 2,000 customs and border patrol officers. Now, in your opinion, what's the point of screaming about fentanyl at the border if you're going to go ahead and defund it? Michael, they, every, I, I'd say um, at least once a day, at least uh, three times a week, uh, the words seized and apprehended are trending on Twitter. And without even looking at why, I already know why. It's it's one of a number of people tweeting about, uh, like, it'll be Elise Stefanik or Marsha, what's, what's Tennessee, Marsha, what's her name? Marsha Blackburn. Thank you, Marsha Blackburn. You know, tweeting that... Uh, X amount of um, of of tons of fentanyl have been seized at the border. Well, yeah, that's what you want. You want those drugs to be prevented from coming into the country. What's the problem? So it's it's either 
either they think their base is that stupid that they don't understand um or they're or they're trying to gaslight them but it's very hypocritical for them to scream about about fentanyl coming into the country in one side of their mouth and then try to cut the border um the support the the funding for the border patrol out of the other side of their mouth it's insane and it's not just that they're cutting funding to the fbi and whether you like the fbi or not because he he raided your boys i don't yeah whether you you uh care for the fbi or not they're they're there to do a job they are law enforcement and if you are screaming about oh, democrats want to defund the police i got news for you the fbi they count as police Plus, the funding that they want to cut also affects local law enforcement, too. So, yeah, they're just they're just chock full of hypocrisy. Do you remember when Donald was sitting there and he was talking about how drugs and illegals are just pouring over the border? And then they showed video of people scaling the fence. First of all, the fence that they were scaling was not even a border wall. Uh, it was, I don't even think it was in our country, to be honest mm. with you. Um, but one of the things that they tried to explain to Donald, but he, it's not that he didn't get it. It's just that it didn't advance his bullshit narrative when he said that they're literally carrying drugs on their backs. They're mules. They're mules. They're carrying drugs on their backs. They're just walking right through, right? And so on. that's not true. And then they tried to explain to him that the bulk of the drugs that are coming into the country are either coming through tunnels, really super advanced tunnels that they're finding all the time. And then they're filling it up either with concrete or blowing it up or what have you, or by some other method. But they're not carrying them across the border. Yes, we need Border Patrol officers. Absolutely. Do I also think that there are areas that need to be secured up on the border? Absolutely. I mean, I think that our entire immigration policy needs to be overhauled from the bottom, from, from the bottom to 100%. the top. It hasn't worked in years. It hasn't. And I think it's about high time somebody figure out how to do this instead of kicking the can down the road for the next guy. Now, you, the problem is nobody wants to end up being criticized. And I understand that. It was why, for example, you know, we remained in Afghanistan for 40 years. Nobody wanted to leave, right? You know, they were afraid of exactly what happened, which was it would be an absolute shit show getting out. Now, you can argue whether or not the... Uh, extrication of the troops and people from Afghanistan was a success or not. It was ugly, but that doesn't mean it's not a success. Fuck it. I think Monet is ugly, but they're fucking valuable, <laughs> yeah. right? You know the old expression about being a Monet? Good looking from far, but far from good oh, looking. <laughs> you know, the, far, the farther you get, the better, right? You get close, it looks like a bunch of dots. My point is, you know, it's still very valuable. Sure. And it's the same theory that's going on here. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just confused by their whole illogical thinking and their ideology. It just doesn't make Immigration sense. Immigration 100% has to be resolved. Uh, I, I, 
I would love to see it uh, resolved in our lifetime. I, the only problem is if you fix immigration, you create other problems that um, a lot of people aren't talking about. Like, for instance, there's a whole lot of illegal labor that is that is going on where um, employers are paying whatever the hell they want to pay you know, to get their stuff done. And there's, it's, I'm not talking about a small amount of, of carrots. I'm talking about a lot of money, you know, this would affect a lot of people, a lot of employers. That's one thing. Number two is um, immigration is a wedge issue for both parties, actually. And I think, I think if there was enough, um, enough motivation on both sides to get immigration done, they would be working hard towards it. But I think right now having that, having immigration as a wedge issue is more valuable to them than actually sitting down and hammering out a deal in, in which mm-hmm. neither side gets 100% of what they want. In fact, you know, well, that's called, that's called, that's called a good negotiation, yeah, right? Both sides have to walk away feeling a little grumbly about what just went down, but you know, getting us 80, 75, 80% of the way there, I think um, it needs to happen. Yeah. So further, what do you think of the Twitter files hearings with Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger? I mean, do you think that these two reporters are on the up and up or are they just for example, shills for Elon Musk. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If if Elon Musk was on was above board with this, he wouldn't just be doling out little whatever he wants to to give to uh two just two people. You know, he would be he would bring people from many different sides of this thing and say, here. Have at it. Here's the data. Here's take all this. Boom. Make of it what you will. But no, he is carefully trying to craft a narrative by selecting just these two people. And just and of those two people, I'm going to cherry pick the information I give you. It's interesting that they don't make much of a deal out of the fact that Donald Trump was, in fact, the one who was selecting tweets that he wanted taken down. You know, uh, Donald Trump was the was the guy in power during the the period that is in question. You know, it wasn't Joe Biden. Joe Biden wasn't in there telling him take this down, take that down. I think at one point he was like, "Yeah, why don't you take down the uh, dick pics of my son's dick pics? Why'd you do that?" Uh, um, as as any good father, no father wants to see their son's dick pics on social media. I think you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's clear that Elon Musk has a goal, and his goal is to um, is to allow more hate speech on the platform, to allow more disinformation. Um, it's clear a, a whole lot of us. I talk to a lot of the um, um, bigger accounts, the the so, uh, on Twitter. And we, we're all we've all been uh, kind of I don't know if it's shadow banned or deboosted or whatever, but yeah, yeah, that's I, I was going to ask you that, you know, I have like, um, what do I have like close to 600,000 followers? Yeah. But well, that would be huge 
for somebody who's not right now for the 20th time in a period of two, three years been plastered on television every single second of every single minute of every single Mm -hmm. day. And you would think, because I am a prolific Twitter, you know, user, a tweeter, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, And it's amazing that my numbers don't really increase. Ah, they go up a thousand here. They go down five hundred, up seven hundred, down two hundred. I almost believe that I am being blocked or shadow banned or something. You know, and I don't really care to be honest. I do it just to sort of get this shit off my chest, and you know, um, it's. I have a good um, audience that seems to interact, but I haven't grown. And that's something that I don't understand. Michael, there, there are a lot of us uh, in the space, in the Twitter space, who believe that Twitter is an important tool for helping, uh, helping democracy, for, uh, for organizing, you know, for getting the message out for setting the record straight. And those are very important things for getting your base excited about anything for sharing information about a win, you know, that whether it's one of the many, many bills that the Biden administration has passed over the past couple of years or whether, or whatever the case may be, you know, that Twitter is like the, as uh, Elon Musk said, you know, the, the town square, the t- you know, um, where information is disseminated. But he seems to have placed priority on um, on disinformation accounts, accounts that promote disinformation and a lot of right wing accounts. And in some cases, they're one in the same. They're one in the same thing. Uh, and it's it's very, you know, I don't know if I told this to you the last time that you were on, but I was chosen to engage in a conversation on Twitter. Did I tell this to you last time? No. Uh, I was chosen to be part of this. Um, it was like uh, five people who were speakers and there were about a million people who were listeners, participants. And I got to discuss some issues that I thought of. This is when um, Elon Musk had just taken over Twitter. And I said to him, so Elon, what do you intend to do about all of these bots and these bot farms that pop up? They inundate your account. They attack you if, obviously, because that's why these bot farms are hired in the first place. What are you going to do in order to prevent these bots from taking over conversations and even just being on the platform at all, considering they're not real. Mm -hmm. And his comment to me was, you know, it's something that we are discussing very seriously at um, the tech level. How do we do that? And I proposed that you just do a two-system authentication where if, you know, I have only one Twitter account. That's all you're supposed to have. So if I want to have... Yeah, two-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. So it has to be attached to my cell phone number, right? Okay, hypothetically, you have two cell phones. Great, you could have two accounts, but you can't have (laughs) 2,000. You can't have 100,000, right? And he was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. So that's months ago already. And the number of bots 
that keep attacking my account is extraordinary. But since we're on social media, let me then ask you this, BDD. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What do you think happens if the Biden administration shuts down TikTok? Because you and I, we both have a lot of friends who have audiences uh, on that platform. I have over two hundred and fifty thousand, um, you know, followers on TikTok. Again, I also think that somewhere along the line, the numbers don't go up. Uh, maybe I just don't know what I'm doing so technology-wise, which is very possible because I'm not good at it. But do you think that the Biden administration would be justified or are they justified to be concerned about what the Chinese are or might be doing on that platform? I think um, I think it would be unfortunate if uh, if the Biden administration were to were to forbid all of America from using it. I understand he was trying to they were they were trying to shut uh, stop federal employees from using it and that kind of that kind of makes sense but i i think i i i don't use tiktok that much but when i when i do it's kind of fun you know and you actually it, it is like a it's like falling into a rabbit hole because you just see you see one video after the next after the next and they're kind of engaging you know so um i don't know some there are people who use uh tiktok for non nefarious purposes and i think it would totally suck for those creators and that's what they are they are content creators um there's got to be some kind of happy medium where you get i don't know like the the best uh technological minds in the country to figure out a way to safeguard maybe to safeguard tiktok so that it's not uh extracting information you know critical information from people to make it safer to be used and maybe work with the people who um, work with the people who run and own TikTok and say, look, we don't want to cut you guys off at the knees, but our priority right now is national security. And um, we're going to have to take some extreme measures. And that includes cutting you off from our 300 million uh, 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 citizens, unless you agree to work with us to make TikTok safer. I think that's that's where they need to be. Would you agree? You know, I saw, yeah, I saw a, um, a TikTok comment by a guy, I think he said his name was like Shu, and he's the CEO of TikTok. And he was saying that there's 150 million Americans that are on the platform. Half of America Holy is shit. on TikTok. I, I, wow. I was blown away. I didn't know that. That's you know, it's, 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 first of all, I find it fantastic, but I'm not really concerned. You know, people say, oh my God, you know, the, what if the Chinese get data on you? Really? Data on me? <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is fucking Google me as if I give a shit. And they keep talking about, oh, they could be spying and listening. Oh, so they, what, they're going to hear my, you know, my wife telling me to take the garbage <laughs> out or my kids turning around and telling me, you know, that they want to do something that goes, I don't know. I mean, that's really very, very informative national security shit, right? I mean, I, I don't get it. So let me then just go back to, because I had a real question for you regarding uh, Ron DeSantis again. Mm. I mean, because we know in New York, I was driving out through Long Island and I saw this one fucking house. I'm not joking you, BDD. I never saw anything like this. The whole house is draped in 2024 paraphernalia. The entire lawn is, is with 
20, Trump, 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 Trump. I mean, it's wow. It's so overboard. I almost want to take beyond, a drive by and see it. <laughs> it's be it's beyond. I'll send you a photo of the house. <laughs> anyway, so we know that there are all of these conservative pockets in New yeah. York, you know, for sure. But do you see the people as a whole, I'm talking about the state of New York, being okay with shutting down things like um, drag shows or banning books or changing black history? Because oh, no. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I think New Yorkers even... Even maybe that fucking lunatic with his house draped in Trump shit. I just don't think so. Well, here's So if that's the case, if that's the case, do you think that Ron, you know, Death Santis, De Sanctimonious, DeSantis has any shot on a national stage? Uh, yes. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because New York is more than just New York City. New York is those pockets in Long Island that are a lot uh, a lot bigger and uh, uh, there are a lot more of those pockets than you would believe in Long Island in Staten Island and in upstate New York All almost all of upstate New York is like Trump country you know oh yeah uh, oh yeah and so I did time I did time up there I know that <laughs> so I don't I don't know what the numbers are you know um, I know that that we lost in New York, Democrats lost uh, seats. They lost House seats in the last election that we shouldn't have lost. So that ought to be a goddamn uh, red flag to the party and say, whatever the hell we're doing, we're not doing it right. And we got to we got to fix it. But, yeah, DeSantis actually, I hate to say it, you know, uh, when you compare him to how crazy uh, Trump is. People who aren't that plugged in in the day-to-day minutiae of politics will look at the two. They'll look at Trump versus DeSantis and like, oh, well, you know, he's not a raving lunatic. He is a fascist, but they won't see that. They won't see that. They'll see that he's the governor of Florida uh, and that he is and he'll spin it as, you know, I'm doing things to protect parents' rights. Parents' rights has become a, uh, a mantra on the right. You know, so it doesn't sound like uh, bigotry. It sounds like we care about parents being able to uh, have a say in their, their children's uh, in raising their children. It doesn't say anything about eliminating. They're going to de-emphasize the black history thing and de-emphasize the, the drag reading. But they, they'll say, hey, we just don't want your kids exposed to uh, drag performers. You we don't want your three-year-olds, you know, having somebody's junk uh, <laughs> gyrated in their face or something. They're going to make it sound as horrible and as uh, as you know what I mean. They, like they they have a way I of do. spinning. So, long story short, yes, DeSantis uh, does have a shot if he can get past Trump, who appears to be losing his mojo by the by the day yeah so you know i'm always learning something especially as i'm trying to prepare for these episodes and so on it turns out right that and i didn't know this and i i would i would have bet the barn on this one and lost it that jimmy carter was one of our most compassionate and forward-thinking presidents in recent history i never 
ever would have thought that Madam Shimon called and I'm the fall for the president of the United States of America. Right? I mean, I mean, who didn't who didn't do a Jimmy Carter impersonation before? Right? Yeah. So so when you heard when you heard obviously what I'm talking about, and I'm talking about the Iran hostage scandal that's now coming to light. How shocked were you to think or to find out that this guy's second term was stolen yeah, from him? Yeah, I, I, I was stunned. And there were people, and I tweeted about it, like, you know, I just found out. And, and people were like, oh, yeah, man, we've we, we known that for a long time. Like, no, no. A guy just said in this article that he didn't come out about it until just, I forget what his rationale was for coming out about it now. Maybe because President Carter is is at the end of, of his life or whatever. But, you know, it is a it's a damn shame. He went with a delegation to Iran and their purpose was to tell them, do not make a deal. Do not release the hostages. Uh, Ronald Reagan is going to win and he'll make you a better deal. So wait until... Reagan is in the White House and then release the hostages like that floored me like, you know, blue versus red, Democrat versus Republican. Those were American citizens there being held hostage. And you had the opportunity to spring them, but you had them sit, in, you know, in captivity longer to win an election. That is disgusting. That is deplorable. Any I can't think of enough negative adjectives to describe how horrendous that was. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I personally can't, but I think it was that guy, what, John Connolly was the one who went there right. on Ronald Reagan's behalf. Now, of course, the real issue is whether or not Reagan knew what Connolly was doing, right? It sounds very similar to Donald, right? I didn't know what I was, I didn't know he was doing <laughs> Right. Quite frankly, I had no idea. Right. Blame, bl blame it all on, blame it all on Cohen. It's Cohen. He he did it on his own, right? I mean, this is just really, you know, kind of who they are. And I, I was, to be honest with you, I was totally, totally shocked. We always have a lot of fun together on the show, and you know, as the hour comes to an end, I have really one last question for mm -hmm. you, and you and I. We're both in positions to talk to our audiences and tell them the truth. But how frustrated do you get when the wheels of justice just don't fucking move, right? And when criminals like some of these congressional Republicans who were involved, they were January 6 co-conspirators, they seem to have gotten away with it. How do you maintain your equilibrium? Because I lose my shit all the time. And people say, you know, take it easy, slow down. You, you know, you can't take everything to heart. I do. What do you do to keep your equilibrium? I, I try to, I, I try to uh, keep things in, in perspective, you know. Uh, and I, I believe that, um, I, I believe that Merrick Garland, uh, has a job to do. I believe he's an honorable man. Uh, I know from his track record that he has taken down some real scumbags. And I think I, I would like to believe, and I'm going to hold on to that belief that he has every intention of, of bringing to justice everyone who needs to be brought to justice. And he told us, 
He told us numerous times in press conferences that however high up the ladder it goes, he is going to hold people accountable. I'm ho- I'm holding him to that. Um, that's not to say that I don't wish every now and then that maybe, uh, uh, what was that woman's name? Sally, Sally Yates. Sally that Yates. Maybe Sally Yates mm-hmm. was picked or somebody else with, with a little bit more oomph, with uh, a little bit more tenacity um, was at the helm of, at the DOJ. But look, at the end of the day, he's doing his thing. He appointed uh, Jack Smith, who seems to really be, you know, on top of his game. So, you know, uh, it's it's not how fast I would like it uh, to happen. It's just good. it's going to happen in the time that it, it needs to happen. Unfortunately, a lot of us feel like but, the clock wait, is running but, out. But we have sure. But let's be fair. There have been over what five hundred plus people already um, tried and. Oh, for January 6th. Found guilty of for January yeah. 6th. You know who those people are? You, me. The little guys. The average Joe and Jane American. Yeah. So it goes back to my earlier, the, our very first topic we were talking about. Is there or is there not two completely systems of justice, of, of law in this country? It is fucking bullshit. That's the only way to describe it. It's fucking bullshit that none of the people who are at the height, right, that were there. These people did not figure out a map of the inside of the Capitol without somebody's help. How come that person hasn't been prosecuted? No, the dumb schmuck that listened to Donald go there and, you know, take back your country, right? Um, You know, protest, fight, fight for your country, fight for for your freedom. Who knows whatever else he said. Those people are now sitting in prison, some of whom for seditious conspiracy, maybe for 15, 20 years. Mm. And the people who are at the helm of power, nothing, not even a charge. I'll say this, Michael. If, If the people high up, as high up as possible, are not held accountable while the little ones are, at the end of the day, if nothing happens to them, I will be very, very discouraged and disappointed in our in our judicial in our system of justice. I, I, yeah, it's it's gonna mess me up. But until then, I'm holding out hope because hey, I, that's all Pete, we have is hope. Whoa, man. whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, we have to have more than hope. We have to have reality because I've always remembered from the very first day I started working. There's an expression, right? When you have the boss there, shit flows downhill. All right? Well, start with the top then, Merrick Garland. Start with the top. You know, you start holding those who are in positions of power responsible. It's easier to get the lower guy. It's hard to get the the top guy. They're not even going after any of these people. And I just don't understand it. So, like I said... The issue that we are all confronting in this country, including what's going on downtown here, including what's going on in in Georgia, including what's going on with the Mar-a-Lardo documents, uh, the top secret documents that were stolen, including the January 6th committee. It appears that we live in a system where justice is not blind, 
where we have a two-tier legal system. If you are rich and powerful, one. If you are an average Joe or Jane, it's two. And the people who get fucked is, is section two, the Joe and Janes of America. And this is not right. And that is the beginning to the loss of your democracy. Because as far as I'm concerned, every single statute that I have seen, a statue of, Jan, of um, Lady Justice, mm -hmm. she's always wearing a blindfold. And the purpose is because the law is supposed to apply to everyone equally. Right. Blind justice. It's not what it looks like we're having. But let me thank you as always, my friend. Um, you stay safe. Stay hopeful. Right? And um, definitely have you back very, very soon. But you keep killing it on your social media platforms. Thank you for having me uh, again, Michael. And you keep working on those those voices, man. Those are great. <laughs> uh, thank, thank, thank you very much. Thank, 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 thank you very much. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you soon, All my right, brother. Buddy. And now for today's mea culpa. The three-day love fest that took place this week between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin is not good for anyone but them. Xi's visit started with a military parade and ended with a firm handshake. And the promise to destroy democracy at all costs. There are a gazillion press photos that show Putin and Xi mincing around Moscow like a couple of old pals out on the town. The peace plan that China was supposedly coming to discuss seems to have gone by the wayside. Zelensky says that the Chinese have never even discussed their peace plan with him. So, we have to let go of the fantasy that China would somehow re-emerge on the world stage as an international peacekeeper. I don't like to kick a peace plan when it's down, but by the look of it, the plan was just a pretense for Xi and Vlad to hang out and talk about dictatorship. And how about the United States is just no fun anymore. And if Xi was really against the war in Ukraine, Putin probably would not have bombed an apartment building full of civilians during Xi's visit. I mean, this particular bombing in Kiev killed a bunch of students. And nothing says peace like murdering innocent children. The show of authoritarian unity between the two is honestly fucking frightening. China has promised to buy all the oil that Russia can supply, which will prop up Russia financially. And so China's economic partnership with Putin will make our sanctions on Russia far less effective. What then will be the incentive for Putin to walk away from Ukraine? Well, there isn't one, and it's disheartening. And now Congress questioned Anthony Blinken Wednesday and someone did why we haven't labeled Russia yet as a state sponsor of terrorism. The answer is somewhat complicated, but the gist is this. If we deeply offend Putin, he'll stop negotiating altogether and there won't be any peace. Here's where the bigger picture becomes clear. China benefits if Russia takes Ukraine because then they'll be free to take Taiwan. If the world can't protect one democracy, we certainly can't protect two. And China sees itself as a country on the rise, the next United States of America. Their record on human rights is horrendous. The people living under the rule of the CPP are watched and grabbed for good or bad behavior. Minorities are shipped off to re-education camps. And remember, China's one-child policy. Well. 
that backfired on them. Because in 2016, they gave married couples the right to have two children, but the birth rate is still down. I can't tell you if the people are happy there, but China is looking to expand. They've spent big money building infrastructure in Africa and South America, roads, water wells, hospitals. In fact, China is responsible for lifting about 70% of the world out of poverty. And that's sort of amazing. Beijing has set its sights on overtaking the United States military, economically and culturally. And Xi is in Moscow now because supporting Mr. Putin advances his dark vision. If Putin is free to conquer Ukraine and threaten the rest of Europe, it will draw America's attention away from Asia. And then who knows? What we need to do is we need to make America strong again so that the evil plans of evil dictators never come to fruition. Democracy is still the best deal going, but the world is taking a hard right, and I haven't even gotten to the troubles going on in Israel right now. Our former president may be a crook, but we are still the greatest nation on earth. We are a nation of law and order, but we're still free. Russia and China unfortunately can't stay the same. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.